You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. everyone welcome to twibbly i'm your host jeff mclarge huge and with me today you know him as bill thelma bouvier with one l welcome bill. hi guys how you doing <laughs> bill you sound so, like you've been gargling rocks yeah I pretty much have it is no secret that we post uh these shows several weeks after we record them in real time i am winding up september there was a, a weekend like Two weeks ago now, I worked at the Haunted House four days in a row and at the Renaissance Fair three of those days in a row. And there was one day that I was you know, yelling at the fair and then yelling constantly at the Haunted House. Uh, and even though it's been a couple of weeks, my voice has just not recovered. I think also, too, that you know what the audience may not know is that aside from unicycling and yelling at people at both the fair and the Haunted House, you also swallow swords and... <laughs> Do those like sticks with fire on them down your throat, and that uh, that has an impact on your vocal cords too. You know, I actually asked somebody to teach me how to fire eat. Yeah, and he talked me out of it in one sentence. He says, "I'll show you, but I'm letting you know if you swallow any amount of this stuff, you are going to have diarrhea for two weeks straight." Uh, I was like, <laughs> we're done. We're done. Here. Well, I guess that is so much for that. Well, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad, uh, gravelly voice and all, that, that we're getting to record today. I know that when you're in the midst of, of as you call it, September, that a lot of stuff gets put on the on the sideboard of yes. the With 1L life. But Yeah, laundry mostly, but yeah, there's other things too. So uh, one of those things, as we've discussed before recording today, is, is time at the gym. Yes. So you haven't been to the gym, but I've been going a lot. So I've been going enough well, for the both of us. Good. Must be nice. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting to a point now where I'm like getting antsy about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to use the word atrophy because that's not what's happening. Right. I am using my muscles, uh, you know, to do other things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I'm getting itchy. Like, I want to go back to the gym. I'm, I'm missing the time there. So yeah, I find that even like I took a week off when I had COVID. Yep. Because I, you know, I'm like a nice person and don't want to go cough all over the giant Sasquatches and other. <laughs> monsters that go to my gym and by the end of that week i was already starting to feel like what's wrong with me something's not right and it wasn't covid it was just that i hadn't been i hadn't gone I mean, there besides the covid yeah right, besides the covid something's wrong my muscles don't hurt yeah. i feel weirdly strangely good and it was because i hadn't gone to the gym for a week you know what i don't miss about the gym no. is people who don't know how to go to the gym <laughs> and i don't <laughs> and Yes. And I don't mean like people that are exercising wrong. I'm talking about people who can't like put their damn weights back. Yeah. Gym etiquette. Yes. They should make people take a class. Most gyms, if you join a gym, they make you meet with a fitness person, right? Like a trainer so that right. you don't go in and instantly like 
put your head between the weight plates on the universal machine and give yourself a concussion, right? Or that you try to pick up 725 pounds of dumbbells and your arms fall off. Like, they have somebody who's, who sort of shows you the safe way to start to lift weights if you've never been to the gym before. And they should right. definitely make you sit down for a class about how to behave in the gym so that everybody else in the gym doesn't want to kill you with the weights that you're lifting. Right. The most common one that I see, and it drives me bananas, is this, you know, the, the rack of dumbbells. Yes. And they go 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, right. 30, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it only takes, like... If somebody picks up the weights and somebody else picks up some other weights, whoever picked up those first weights will put them back in the wrong place. Uh, it's yeah. like, how hard is this? Right. You don't need a class. You shouldn't need a class. Right. Don't you know your numbers? Like, they're on yeah. the weights, you know? They're in the white. That's the white text on the outside of the weight. You know? No, yeah. no That looks like an S because you're holding it upside down. Yeah. Always. Um, always at my gym. Always. It's and, always and a thing. So, building on that one is the people who, who stand in front of that rack because usually there's a big mirror behind that rack at least in my gym there is and they pick up the weights and then they flap their arms for like 10 minutes only a half a step away from the whole weight rack so literally you can't get to any any of the weights between like 10 pounds and 50 pounds otherwise you're going to get whacked by somebody who's flapping their arms with 25 pounds in each hand hey exactly back up five feet how do you figure the only person that's in here the other people, like at my gym, again, they have a, a bunch of flat and angled benches for free weight dumbbells, is the guys who are picking up clearly too much weight to handle. And yes. they can do two presses, and then they fling the weights like 100 pounds each onto the floor. <laughs> I've had to jump out of the way a couple of times and yep. like jerk my feet out of the way for fear of getting a broken foot. Like, what are you doing? I saw a guy on a what they call a pec deck, which is a machine it mimics the the actions of butterfly curls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got your arms like almost like at a Jesus pose and you're yes. bringing them out in front of you. Mm-hmm. This guy had really had his heart set on dropping the weights because in that particular machine, you kind of have to wiggle your arms out of the way if you're going to drop them. Right. Otherwise, it's just going to rip your arm off. <laughs> and I'm watching this. It was a kid, you know. Yep. And I'm watching him, like, trying to, like, wriggle his arms out of there so he could drop the weights. It's like, yes. I don't know if you get the memo there, kid, but dropping the weights is frowned upon. Everybody hates you. Everybody yeah. hates you now. And it's not just on the floor where it's problematic. Like, the locker rooms are problematic, too. So etiquette in the locker rooms, for those of you who are thinking of joining a gym, as we get closer to January of yep. this year, if you bring a bag full of your stuff to the gym unpack your bag and put it in a locker. Don't leave your open bag on the floor in the middle <laughs> of everywhere. Or it's very, very likely that me, or someone who thinks like me, is going to dangle his wet balls over your stuff and <laughs> drip it into your bag because it's in the way. But ball dangling aside, <laughs> let's uh, let's get to our show here. I will present today's very popular and always well-received trivia question today to Bill to see if he can start ooh, a streak ooh, ooh. of one in a row. Okay, All cool. Right. What do you got? Are you ready? I am. All right. What rock group is immortalized on Butthead's t-shirt on the show Beavis and Butthead? Oh, slow pitch over the plate, Jeff. Come on. Uh, All right. All right. I will give you my answer at the end of the show. All right. Well. And ironically enough, uh, since it is the November 28th is our first day, I'm going to let you start. And hey. uh, 
On November the 28th of 1997, uh, your friends and mine, MTV, uh-huh. airs the final episode of Beavis and Butthead. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you had watched it in, in 97 and taken down some notes, you definitely have the answer to today's trivia yeah, question. I'm, yeah, I'm closing my mind's eye and looking back. And uh, Beavis and Butthead, I, I remember when it started. It was it started out on a, another show called Liquid Television. Yes, with a little bit called Frog Baseball. And I remember my brother and I just like laughing and thinking that was the funniest thing because we all kind of grew up with kids in the neighborhood, not unlike Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> I guess they were the a real sort of characters from like the late 80s and 90s. They yeah. really sort of picked up that sort of aimless, shiftless, ambitionless sort of teenagers who yeah. were perfectly unhappy working at the fast food place that gave them just enough money to not die. Right, yeah. They were you definitely know. archetypes, yeah. yeah. Beavis and Butthead was like crazy popular, so popular that, of course, mothers across the United States were clutching their pearls and, you know, trying to get it banned and whatnot for, you know, promoting whatever. Oh, Meanwhile, I remember. T- Do you remember what it was promoting? It was it was because Butthead would flick a lighter and go, fire, 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 that they thought they were going to set stuff on fire. Yeah. That yeah. well, that's Beavis. Yeah, that's well, Beavis, sorry. actually. Beavis. Yep. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and uh, actually, what I think what really set it off was there was an episode where they were throwing bowling balls off of an overpass, mm-hmm. and mothers were afraid that their kids were going to emulate that. It's like, hey, I got a better idea. How about you bring up your kids in such a way that throwing a bowling ball off of an overpass seems like a really bad idea? That's the way I thought when I was that age. Yeah, I thought that way too. I mean, we had different cartoons when we were kids, and you know, yeah. I only a couple of instances where I was on my rocket cycle trying to catch the local roadrunner <laughs> that I hurt myself really badly. But um, you know, I learned from those things. Still, Beavis yeah. and Butthead was a show that really was popular for a few years, and then it disappeared and and had a hard time coming through the video market because right. the rights to all the music that these. For those of you who don't know what the show was like, there were entertainment segments that told a little story. But the bulk of the half an hour show was Beavis and Butthead watching and commenting on whatever the popular music videos are of the day. So right. getting the rights cleared for all of the music that they used proved to be impossible. Right. They could air it on MTV because MTV had the rights already, but you couldn't like sell them on DVD sets, right? Yeah. Well, there were. I mean, there were DVD sets, but they didn't have any of the music segments. It was just the story segments. And it turns sure. out there's not a lot of those. It's like five hours maybe total right, of, right. Uh, yep. of content. They they got their own film, which I saw in the cinema with my dad, called yep, Beavis and Butthead Do America. And it was very funny. Yep. And, there was uh, another one, too, that came out recently. I haven't yes. seen it, though. I haven't watched that one either. But Mike Judge, the, the creator of Beavis and Butthead, made the transition into live action films not yep. too long after 97 with office space and idiocracy and yep. he must have another film i don't know i'm apparently not a mike judge fan because i didn't see idiocracy i didn't care for office space i don't like king of the hill and i liked beavis and butthead fine but to go back and watch it now it's it's of its time yeah they oh, tried definitely. yeah they tried doing a revival of it in the 2000s somewhere and yeah, it didn't land. It's re- being revived now. It's it's oh, yeah. uh with, it's with, available on streaming. I think it's on Hulu. No, but they have like new episodes. Oh yeah, so revival not of the old show, but of of new ones is what you, what you mean. Right. Yeah. 
So that takes us to November 29th. On November 29th, 1942, the United States begins rationing coffee during the Second World War. So it's part of the war effort. Coffee, for those of you who drink coffee like I do, you were rationed one pound of coffee per five weeks, which would cause murders (laughs) in my household. That's yeah, it was one pound every per five family. weeks per family, per household. Per household. No, no, yeah. no, no. I don't drink nearly as much coffee as you do. And I, you don't even drink nearly as much coffee as I do in one sitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go through more than definitely more than a pound in five weeks. Yeah. But you have um, you know, two kids at home over there. I don't. Does your daughter drink? Well, she works at Starbucks. Does your daughter drink coffee though? Technically, yes, but she doesn't drink coffee that we make at home because she likes it only iced. So she drinks oh, all I... the fruity, fruity drinks, you know. Okay. Because I know whenever I stay over there, me, your son, and you, you know, we go through at least two pots of oh. coffee. Oh my god, my co- yeah. my my coffee pot has to spend the next day in isolation after you're here because <laughs> it is worn out. It just sits in the corner like like a marathon runner, just like, uh, like whimpering. Uh, uh, Please don't war. Don't put another filter in me, for the love of God. Uh, but I'm just one man. One of the ways that people stretched the coffee that they had was they started adding roasted chicory root to the grounds to make them last longer. And it gives coffee uh-huh. a little bit different flavor. Right. But it's really good. You can still buy chicory coffee at the store. It's a little bit more expensive than regular ground coffee. If you buy right. like Folgers or Maxwell House, but it has a it has a really f- different taste that with cream and yep. sugar tastes almost like butter. It's really good. That was what I started this... getting my son to drink coffee with when he was like five. Yeah, yeah get a, get, get, a get a hooked early. early right? There you go. And then there was like that chock full of nuts too. That was another way to like additive to the coffee to less coffee, more other stuff. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. It looks like coffee, but it doesn't taste it. It's like, I think Postum came out around the same time too, which is like, if you want to make people that drink coffee angry at you, make Postum. Mm-hmm. They'll never come to your house to steal your one pound of coffee <laughs> for five weeks again. All right. Do you have a favorite bean, like uh, Arabic versus? Uh, you know, as if it's not burned, I'm yep. probably pretty comfortable drinking it. I've never had a cup of coffee that wasn't burned that wasn't delicious. So... Do I have a favorite? No. Do I? If I was buying it on my own, I'd probably go for like Sumatran. Uh-huh. Um, but I tend towards darker roasts when I buy coffee. So I lean towards Colombian. I like I like the Colombian beans. The best coffee I ever had was Colombian coffee. Like somebody from Colombia gave me from Colombia as a gift. Oh yeah, that was I've so, heard good things. That was yeah. good. I wish you would have given me two pounds of it. I could have drank one and just rubbed the other one down my pants. Oh. <laughs> Why does my gym bag smell like coffee all oh, of a sudden? Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's move on to November 30th, Bill. Coffee free, all as right. it were. November 30th of 1988, your friend of mine, LL Cool J, you can just hear the disdain in my voice, <laughs> LL Cool J uh, performs the first rap concert in Africa. Oh, that's cool. I want- yeah, I, It's cool, I guess. I... I don't like LL Cool J. Oh, I like LL. I like Mama Said Knock You Out. That's a good, great song. Great yeah, song. Yeah, that song's fun. I think what happened was, like, his real early stuff I wasn't crazy about that they would show on MTV. Mm-hmm. And then I got the Lesson Zero soundtrack, and he's got a song on there called Going Back to Cali. I love that which, song, too. <laughs> really? I had to fast forward over no, it. No, yeah. I love that song. That's a great song. Uh, Remember how funny it was when uh, Colin Quinn did Going Back to Jersey as a spoof of that song? 
Yep. She gave me a pair, started spraying her hair, and showed me a picture <laughs> of Ricky Sambora. That was really funny. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> that's what I remember more so than going back to Cali. But going back to Cali is a great song. That was one of the first really big sort of hip-hop songs to make it onto American radio. And I always liked yep. LL Cool J. He's a guy who's real scrappy. He got in with the New York first generation of New York rappers just as they were starting to get popular, like Run DMC. Yep. And if you watch the film Crush Groove... I don't know that you would, but it's a film I watched a bunch of times on cable as a kid. He's in like every scene in that movie. He's constantly going back and forth in the ba- in the background, carrying stuff and moving <laughs> things. And he's always, always, always on camera. He's trying to get his Screen Actors Guild hours in, I guess. I, I, he ended up doing it. I mean, he ended up getting speaking roles in other films. He plays the Reverend in yeah. uh, Deep Blue Sea. The only person in that whole movie that's good is him. The, the thing that used to drive me nuts about him is he was always licking his lips like I don't know if the guy's diabetic, but like he was always licking his lips like a like a lizard. Maybe that's what the LL stands for, lizard, lizard, cool J. And he's cool because <laughs> he's cool because it's an ambient temperature for whatever room he's in. <laughs> and uh, another thing was you remember the remote control uh, game show they used to do on MTV? Of course, yeah. Yep, yeah. So they had a celebrity version one time, and I remember well several times, but I remember he was on there. And his like his bodyguard was standing behind him, and his bodyguard like cheated and gave him all the answers. And also, LL Cool J was just like, I mean, it's a character; he's yeah. not really like that, you know. It's a it's a persona, right? But like every time he gave his answer, he would always say and something. So like he didn't want to come across as like too smart. Yeah. It's like what color is an orange? Bent, uh, orange and something. It's like all right. <laughs> Reel it in, dude. <laughs> I don't I don't know where his first show was in Africa, but I, I hope the audience was appreciative of him bringing that art form there. I know that a lot of other people have toured parts of Africa yeah. since then, different countries in Africa since then. So, Sure. Uh, well, I mean, he was the first. He was, he was the pioneer, so that's, that's awesome, no matter how I feel about the guy. Uh, that takes us to December 1st, where neither of us are touring Africa for the first time. In 1929, the game of bingo. Is invented by Edwin S. Lowe. Do you know the game Bingo, Bill? Of course I do. I went to Catholic school. <laughs> That's half the curriculum on like Tuesday through Friday. That's half their source of income is what it is. <laughs> Bingo, for those of you who, I don't know, I guess live in space uh, and have <laughs> never been to Earth before, is a game where you've got a grid laid out spelling out the name Bingo at the top. So there's a column for each letter in the word bingo, and then a random series of numbers in each of the boxes below. And someone turns a barrel full of numbers, see what you match on your card to what numbers get pulled out of the barrel. If you get five in a row, B-I-N-G-O, you win a prize. And it can be surprisingly addictive to play. It was my favorite game when I was a little kid. Oh, yeah. I had a bingo game with like a shakeout box for the numbers, and I yep. played that with my brothers until it, the game like literally fell apart. My mother was considerably older than me. I know most mothers are older than their children. <laughs> yeah, generally, as, as a rule, they are, yeah. yeah. As a guideline. Mm-hmm. But my mom was almost 45 years old when I was born, so I always had you know a, a mother that was like two generations right. ahead of me, so to speak. So my mom used to go down and play bingo at the local church, you know, walking distance from my house. Right. Then she, like, stopped going. And I was like, Mom, how come you're not going to bingo anymore? You used to have so much fun over there. And she said that those women down there, she goes, they're like Tyrannosaurus Rex. 
they're just like ah, 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 ah. like they got the <laughs> cards all spread out in front of them they're wicked territorial they're like a bunch of shih tzu dogs just barking at you and yeah she said everybody down there they're like they just take all the fun out of it oh that's that sucks when when it, a game like that becomes so s- serious it becomes a stressor it becomes super duper competitive right that's not fun yeah and i'm just thinking what's it gonna be what's gonna be the tipping point because that place is still up the street for me and i because i live in this house you know and i think they still do bingo on friday nights you know you're gonna go what's there. it gonna be you- what's gonna be the tipping point what's gonna be the age that breaks me where i'm like you know what i got a couple of extra bucks i'm going to play let's bingo. go down there well, I'm I, going to play I tell you bingo. what, I'll, I'll come to your house and we'll go together. We'll, we'll go be old men at bingo. Can we wear a, like? Can we wear like not matching, but like similar like dead Kennedy shirts or something? Absolutely. Like you wear dead Kennedy shirt, I'll wear like a misfits. Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? Shirt. Yeah, yeah. We'll just go down there with these two like barreling towards uh, senior citizen <laughs> punk rockers yep. from the nineties. Let's, yeah. let's actually literally plan to do that. I'll come down and we'll have hot dogs All and right. then we'll go play bingo and report back <laughs> on this. It'll be super fun. We are at now December 2nd, Bill. Uh-huh. Dude, <laughs> I love I love stuff like this because it's so weird and bizarre. And up until literally an hour ago, I did not know this existed. And now I'm, like, obsessed and I want to find it. <laughs> okay. What is it? What do we got? So, December 2nd, 1969, the Broadway musical Buck White opens. Buck White. It stars heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali in the uh, title role. Ooh. Uh, yep. Did he sting like a butterfly and float like a bee? Absolutely not. It closed in four days. Oh, oh that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. Didn't even make it to the Sunday matinee. Oh, that's rough. So I'm going to guess the producers of this play, Max Bialystok and Leo Bloom, are uh, happily living their lives out now in beautiful Rio de Janeiro. Having found the worst play ever. Uh, I don't know that it was bad. I watched one of the music musical numbers for it. Like, they put some money into putting this play out in 69. Yeah. Hold on. I'll, I'll like, uh, I got a clip. Okay. Let me just play a clip real quick. Came and changed. Now we say cut us loose. Though that may go against your brain. Still, there's no excuse. We came and changed. Till every one of us regains the freedom we have lost We came in chains And now your choice must be to evil So you're saying this is pretty good, huh? I respectfully disagree, sir Well, you know, I think it's pretty good in that it Muhammad Ali is a showman to begin with the fact yep. that he would ultimately completely change 100% venue and everything else related to what he did that put him in the public yep. eye in the first place so that he could stand on stage and sing with this ridiculous afro and beard glued to his head. Oh, that beard is terrible. He looks like, I don't even know. It's just not good. It's bad all the way around. It looks like a G.I. Joe doll he that was robed. He does look like a G.I. Joe doll. Oh, my God. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if he's going to Kung Fu grip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about this though, is this is 1969. Yeah. I think this is the point in time in Muhammad Ali's career where they took away his boxing license because he refused to go to Vietnam. 
I think that was earlier. I think he had his license back because he fought Frazier, I think, okay. in 68. Oh, okay. He beat Frazier right. in 68, 67 or 68. Still, bo- He wasn't doing this between ma- matches, but he was the heavyweight champ in this oh, okay. play. All right. You know? I just wanted to stick my little I know about this piece of history. No, there, no, that's that's fine. I got my time frame wrong. Okay. That's, no, you weren't off by much, though. Okay. So don't 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 sweat that. I mean, it's not like all the work he did in the play and all the play schedule is going to impact his boxing too much anyway. It's an right, only right, ran right. for four days. Well, that's four days longer than that Spider-Man musical. Ah, did. <laughs> yeah. so what was that called? Like Spider-Man, like fear the dark, afraid of the dark. Yeah, yeah, something into the so night or into whatever. The, yeah. Into the night. Ugh. I remember All I know that you two was like, we still get paid for this, right? <laughs> yeah, you can use our music. The check cleared. So, <laughs> and that takes us uh, from Muhammad Ali's "Float Like a Butterfly, Sting Like a Bee" to December third, where in 1980, a woman named Janice Brown, flying a home-built solar-powered aircraft called the Solar Challenger, designed by a guy named Paul McCready. Flies for six miles in 22 minutes, which sounds like a short distance and a relatively long time to go a short distance. But this is the very first plane that was fully powered by solar cells. Right. I was about to say, I mean, I go just slightly slower than that on my bicycle. Yes. But do you fly? No, kidding. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's really neat because it showed as a proof of concept that enough electricity right. could be harnessed from the sun if the structure was light enough that you could carry a person a certain distance. And it's entirely possible that Janice Brown could have flown longer than six miles in 22 minutes, but this was a test flight. Right. So it's a proof of concept. It wasn't more than a, maybe five or six years later that the first really big solar-powered planes flew across the United States, across the Atlantic in the United States, and then ultimately around the world. That was 86, I think, that when that happened. Solar technology has come a real, real, real long yeah. way just in the last, you know, 10 years. Yes. So in 1980, yeah, I mean, what they did in 1980 is mind-blowing considering where the technology was at the time. Absolutely. It's astonishing to think that it evolved so quickly. So solar cell technology, carbon fiber was developed. Like computers to be able to design aircraft with more precision than has ever been before and can test proof of concepts in a virtual environment. All of those things converged between 1980 and 1984 or so that made it possible to to do this kind of stuff. And even now there are solar wings that are always described as being used as radio relay stations eventually that'll never have to not fly and tons of potential applications, especially as battery technology improves and that solar radiation can be stored for use later. And then, like we've discussed before with, like, computer technology, what you say was, like, every 18 months, the speed doubles and yeah. the size halves? Yeah, that's the that's Moore's Law. Yeah, Moore's Law. So, I mean, that also applies, you know, to other technologies, not just computers. So as time goes on, we get, you know, better and better solar technology. Like I said uh, last, you know, this past summer, I mowed my lawn completely on solar power. Right. I so. mowed my lawn completely on dead dinosaurs. On Jeff Power. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was all Tyrannosaurus Rex juice. Yeah, the ones from my mother's bingo game. <laughs> I can't make the dot. My arms are too small. Uh. <laughs> well, that brings us to December 4th, Bill. 
December 4th, 1843. Actually, December 4th, 2022 will go down in history when Twibley did a hot take on Manila paper. (laughs) So yeah, December the 4th, 1843. Manila paper is patented by John Mark and Lyman. I guess that's his name. Lehman, Lyman. Lyman. Hollingsworth of Massachusetts. Hey. That's right, friends. Massachusetts, home of chocolate chip cookies and manila paper. Fear me. And coffee syrup and... Oh, and uh, fluff. Marshmallow Marshmallow fluff. fluff. Yeah, the New England's greatest invention, apparently. We invented marshmallow fluff. Hey, what if we just took all these marshmallows and just mashed them in a jar? You know what? It's really really difficult to stuff a pound of marshmallows into my mouth because they're all, (laughs) you know, the shapes all get squished together. What if I liquefied it some? I could just pour it in there. I could, I could just, if I can put this between two pieces of bread, I can glue my face together. <laughs> All right, young Jeff. Anyway, uh, let's talk about vanilla paper. Here's a little side trivia question okay. for you. I, I feel left out that I didn't get I to can ask tell. the question this week. Uh, do you know why it's called Manila paper? I didn't even know it was called Manila paper until I was considerably <laughs> old. I thought as a kid it was vanilla paper. Oh, yeah. We used to call it vanilla paper as well, yeah. Which, I, think, I think that's a common uh, little I, kid I, I think misnomer. It, I think it's because little kids don't know that, you know, Manila is in the Philippines, and the Philippines is where, like, probably some component of this stuff comes from. Yep, uh, you're absolutely right. Right. It's actually a hemp paper. Oh, okay. Yep. And the hemp that they use came from the Philippines. Oh. Oh, uh, yeah. They actually used to take apart old marine ropes, right, which are made from hemp. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, the I mean, talk about recycling paper. Manila paper was made from disused ropes used in uh, Navy vessels. Huh. What are we going to do with all these ropes? I don't know. Yep. <laughs> Sell them to the paper guy. All right. And, well, that's I think Manila paper now it just means the color because I think based on the color of the ropes that were turned over – is what yeah. gave that color, what gave that paper that specific sort of beigey tan, which right also goes to suggest that it was vanilla because that's the same color as vanilla. Um, yeah, right. And yeah, same vanilla. It was like cookies that weren't vanilla either. They're like Nilla cookies, Nilla wafers, right? They're not no, yeah, Manila yeah, yeah. wafers, right? That's what we used to call those too. <laughs> exactly, Nilla wafers. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and they're the same color. Yeah, right. So I'm gonna assume. Actually, I'm gonna assume that Manila paper is still a hemp-based paper. It's just not made from used rope anymore. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm still gonna think that it was originally called vanilla paper, but the guy who pitched it to the first company that made it had a hair lip. Huh? Manila paper. What did you call it? And then he said, "This isn't delicious at all." No. <laughs> I got to get myself a chocolate chip cookie. Right. It's like vanilla. Vanilla, chocolate, and coffee ice cream that you get at the store. <laughs> and that brings us to celebrity birthdays. And since uh, I let you start today with our regular days, I'm going to start with the celebrity birthdays. Okay. So our first day, November 28th, 1929, record company owner and entrepreneur Barry Gordy is born in Detroit, Michigan. Barry Gordy, for those of you who don't know, is the founder of Motown Records. Uh-huh. And also, the ripper offer of many, 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 many young songwriters and musicians of his time. It's very true that his business practices are questionable at this point. <laughs> when we look back at them, like, really? Uh, you bought out the entire catalog of everything that the Diana Ross and the Supremes is ever going to record for, like, $7 and two coupons to a car wash? You know? <laughs> Pretty good deal. Yeah, not the most uh, scrupulous of guys 
but I, I don't want to focus on the negative of Barry Gordy. I'd rather focus on the positive. Right. Like, without him and Motown Records, none of that music would exist in the public sphere the way that it does. And that would be a shame and that, because that the Motown would. sound is just fantastic. So many of those bands or groups, I should say, of, of that time, you kind of wonder how they kind of all have that similar sound to them. It's because they all have the same backing bands. Yes. Same backing bands, same producers. It's just, uh, name them. Martha and the Vandellas, Diana Ross and the Supremes, Diana Ross by herself. Right. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Like Yeah, and then later on, uh, the Jackson 5 Jackson and five. Michael Jackson yep. as a solo artist. Yeah, right? astonishing stuff. And our next day, Bill, November 29th, who do we have? November the 29th is a very underrated comedian as far as I am concerned. You can judge me for my opinions. I don't care. <laughs> but... November the 29th, 1949, is the birthday of Gary Shandling. Oh, and he had a talk show, right? Sort of. So Gary Shandling had a talk show, but it wasn't really a talk show. It was like a mock talk show. A mock show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It was called Larry Sanders, the Larry Sanders show. And it ran for like like six or seven seasons, and it got awards and stuff Mm. like that. Prior to that, he had his own show, quite unironically, called It's Gary Shandling Show. And it was set up like a typical sitcom, but there was a lot of like fourth wall breaking. Okay. Gary Shandling always had this kind of like very meta way of doing things. Even the theme to Gary Shandling Show, the lyrics were, this is the theme to Gary Shandling Show. That was like (laughs) all that. It's, It's so funny. I don't remember any. I only remember vaguely that he had a show. Oh, that's too bad, too, because yeah. um, you would love this. In the theme to Gary Sandling show, one of the lyrics is, this is the part where we start to whistle, and then there's whistling, and then the show starts. Oh, okay. At one point, they had Flo and Eddie on there, and I guess the copyrights had run out, and they were able to you know, put themselves out there as the turtles. Huh. And they were singing the theme to Gary Shandling show. Oh, wow. Which is a mouthful to get out. But instead of the part where they start to whistle, they said... Now is the part where we start to fa-fa. And instead of the whistling part, they started doing the ba-na-na-na from uh, Happy Together. It was really cool. Oh, that is yeah. neat. I, I found that that's a video I can watch on YouTube, so I'll, I'll check that out yeah. after the show. That's pretty cool. And more recently, before he passed away in 2016, uh, your friend of mine, Gary Shanling, was a part of the MCU. He was the member of Congress that Tony Stark was the thorn in the side of. Ah, uh, okay. He did some character roles and other stuff, too, that I remember. Yeah, he was very funny. Yep. Wow. All right. Well, that takes us to November 30th, uh, 1958. A woman named Stacy Lynn Swain is born. You may not know that name, Bill. I don't. <laughs> you may know her by her more famous name, for which she was famous for approximately three minutes and 13 seconds. Stacy <laughs> Q, who had... Oh, hold, hold, hold on. Yes. I, I remember Stacy Q. Stacy Q had the hit song, Two of Hearts. Yep. Right? Yes. So, hold on. Her name was Stacy Lynn Swain. Stacy Lynn Swain. Yep. What the fuck does the Q stand for? I don't know. For quit being famous real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was one of the, the real flash of the pan stars that came, like, right as Madonna's image shifted to be more edgy. And all yep. of the Madonna wannabes who had been on deck and starting to glom into that style of, like, like a virgin and... Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, they didn't have anybody to emulate anymore, so they all had one fast, like fast-moving pop hit, and then disappeared forever. 
Right. So she is one of those. And that, it's hilariously, this song still shows up on a bunch of like 80s compilations, and it's not a bad song. I like it. Oh, no, it's it's got a hook. It's got a hook to it. It's, it definitely does. It's it's stupidly singable, and once you hear it once, you'll be like, well, now I'll never forget that, good or bad. I'm looking at her filmography. She actually played herself on an episode of Full House. That uh, must be something. I'm sure the d- dialogue was not like, oh, wow, look, it's Stacey Q. Who? It <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> so uh, following the, the fame and fortune of Stacey Q, that brings us to December 1st, Bill. All right, uh, December the 1st, uh, a woman who probably, well, she never met CCQ because she was born in December the 1st, 1761. Oh. Uh, that is Madame Tussaud, oh. who was a French wax sculptor and the namesake for all those famous and quite overpriced wax museums all over the country, I love, actually all over the world. I love the work that she did on the Ronald Reagan one. Well- I don't think she did it in Ronald Reagan. Well, it's named after her. She must have been her. Like she, yeah. I'm sure. Work. I've seen House of Wax, Bill. Those people live forever. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Have you ever seen any of the, uh, the her namesakes? Anyway, I, I mean, not you know, her stuff, I haven't. No, I've never seen the stuff that's branded with the Madame Tussauds uh, logo, and I've never been to any of the museums either. I should do that at some point. The only one I've ever seen was they had one of Lady Gaga hanging up in Florida over on International Drive. I forget the name of the place, but they had one of the Madame Tussauds namesake sculptures Mm -hmm. hanging up of Lady Gaga. And it's beautiful work. It's like photorealistic, right? And and three-dimensional. It must be amazing to to see that and be close to them. I know there's a sketch on the Jimmy Kimmel show where he gets his own wax figure for the museum and starts placing it around the office and scaring the hell out of his employees with it. (laughs) Which is really funny to watch. Specifically his cousin. You should check that out if you can find it. The amount of photographs that I see of my friends that go to those museums and how close they let you get to them, I am surprised there is not more damage done. Uh, I am Because people are stupid. I am too. It seems unusual that they would let you get that close to the exhibits. And I go to a lot of museums. And if you get yeah. that close to some of the things at the museums I go to, you get to talk to the security people. And they're oh, not, yeah. it's not a happy conversation. No, I had a, a very unhappy conversation with somebody who didn't like how close I got to Starry Night. Right? Yeah. But then that Starry Night, that's, you know, worth a little bit more than a, a sculpture of Jimi Hendrix. Right. Even if it was even if it was a sculpture of Van Gogh himself, it wouldn't be worth as <laughs> yeah. much as Starry Night. You can make another one of those. Right, exactly. So. Uh, all right, well, that takes us from uh, the wax figures of Madame Tussauds Museum to December 2nd. American actor who is kind of going to be the next big thing. Born in 1955, Dennis Christopher. And if you don't know who Dennis... Did he get married to Stacey Q? <laughs> he did not. But his fame lasted not much longer than hers. Dennis Christopher is an American actor who was in his early, early 20s or late, late teens when he started acting in films and was in a couple of really great late 70s, early 1980s movies, including, not limited to, my favorite of the period, uh, Breaking Away. That was... a. Uh... Was that that was a bicycling movie, wasn't it? It was ultimately it became a bicycling movie by the end. Uh, okay, it's directed by I, th- I think it's directed by the same guy that directed Rocky, so it's got the same arc. But it's a it's a real yeah. like people who've just graduated from high school and don't know if they want to go to college yet and are trying to find their place in the world is this is sort of the so theme. they end up riding bicycles. They end up riding bicycles. Yeah, they end up in a bicycle race. 
okay. It makes a lot of sense if you watch it in the movie, but it doesn't make sense when we talk okay. about it here. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense now. No, it makes uh, way less Dennis sense. Christopher is actually in one of my favorite horror movies from the 1980s, a movie called Fade to Black. He plays a guy that's like just obsessed with old Hollywood and old Hollywood. Um, Old horror movies. Old Hollywood horror movies, but not just horror movies, other movies as well. He plays a real, real good, like, weirdo in that movie. I remember that movie being on HBO a lot when I was, when I first got cable TV and how really well done and and scary it was. Yeah, I own it. I bought that one. That's really good. He was also, he was also in the TV version of It. Yeah, he plays Eddie. Eddie. Uh, Yep. He's done cartoon voices and other stuff, but he he hasn't done a ton of work since then. And it's, oh, it's, he's just living off that sweet breaking away money. <laughs> and it's a shame because, again, he's so good when you see him that you wonder why he yeah. wasn't bigger. I think he just fell in that time period before like teenage movies like The Breakfast Club and yeah. stuff started to come out. He would already aged out of being in those. He wasn't an action star. And that was really what was popular for non-teenage movies at in that like mid-80s time period. So he didn't he didn't fit into anything that was super popular. And then he got beat out by Kevin Bacon for that other famous bicycling movie, Quicksilver. <laughs> yep. I'm sure he did a bunch of TV. Uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was just looking at his page. He's got a lot of stuff like CSI mm-hmm. and uh, Deadwood right. and stuff like that. Yeah. That brings us from Dennis Christopher to December 3rd. They don't rhyme at all. but No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, but December 3rd, 1960, American actress... Somebody who obviously enjoys being married to rock stars, uh, Daryl Hannah. Oh, one-time mermaid. Yes, yep. That's all I really remember. I know she did more movies other than that, but I think most people are going to remember Daryl Hannah as Madison. Right? That was her name, wasn't it? Yeah, dude. I saw Splash exactly one time when it was the first time it was on HBO. I couldn't tell you I'm her pretty name. Sure her name was, uh, I, I'm pretty sure her name was Madison. I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. The one part of that movie that I remember really well was the the two guys who were trying to catch the mermaid, and yep. and one on the rocking chair. I think it was Eugene Levy was rocking yep. rocking back and forth on the airline. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't remember anything else. What a week I'm having! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her name was Madison in that. Uh, she was married to Jackson Brown. Yeah, I couldn't think of his name. I could think of his stupid song "Warriors in Love." But I couldn't think of his name. Uh, they had a tumultuous. That's a good word. Uh, yep. Uh, breakup uh, and all that. And now I think you said she's married to. She's married Neil to Neil Young. Young. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no yeah. She's married to the old man. Take a look at his life. He's a lot like you. Yeah. 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 I'm sure their relationship is because Neil Young is like notoriously curmudgeonly. So I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they have some interesting like frowning contests. <laughs> she, I I remember her best. Not for Splash, but for her role in Kill Bill and Kill Bill Two, where she oh she that's played, right she the, was she in played that. one of the one of the um, the I can't remember which of the Cottonmouth I think was her name yeah and she, dude I'm looking at her filmography right now she's in a ton of stuff it is, yeah it's in a, she's in a ton of stuff I have never seen or heard of I, but yeah she's got a bunch she 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 delivers the like the best lines in Kill Bill 2 when she's having the sword fight in the mobile home with Uma Thurman. Yeah. Oh, she also plays Matisha Adams in the Adams Family Reunion direct to video movie that oh. I did not see. <laughs> yeah, well, nor I. Well, so from direct to video, let's go directly to December 4th. Okay. And December 4th, 1964, Marissa Tomei, American actress who became super popular 
for her role as Mona Lisa Vito in My Cousin Vinny. I remember her yeah. name, even though I haven't seen My Cousin Vinny in probably 20 years, because that movie's awesome, and she was fantastic in it. And she was fantastic in it, yeah. She won an Academy um, Award for that movie. She sure did. She's one of those actresses, I mean, she's 64, so she's 58 years old. Right. And she did not age out of her looks at all. Yeah, she's... She is a beautiful woman. Uh, somewhere there's a closet with a picture in it that's getting older. Whenever I saw that she was going to be cast as Aunt May for the Spider-Man movies, I was like, no, she's too young and beautiful looking. But they, they, right. they ended up playing that part off, the fact that she was so beautiful. Well, I actually sort of, I thought that was an inspired piece of casting, to be honest with you. Yep. And props to them for doing that, because, you know, like, I love Stan Lee, and I love, yep. you know, Steve Ditko and John Buscema, but man, they drew Aunt May like she was literally nanoseconds from death every single time yeah. she was in a panel. <laughs> They, yeah, she was uh, way, way, way old. Yeah, the, only, not, not to the, be, the difference yeah. between her and the Crypt Keeper was she had a bun, <laughs> you know, and the it was keep it with a ponytail, right? Yeah. And it was, and it was great that it was great that they cast someone who's, a, like, who would be the normal mother of an eighteen-year-old, or aunt right. of an eighteen-year-old, you know. So yeah, and I remember Marissa told me when she first like kind of started, she was on a sitcom called A Different World. Which was a spinoff of the Cosby Show. Uh, yeah, of the Cosby Show. It was supposed to be a, a vehicle for Lisa Bonet. Yeah, I think Lisa Bonet was only on it for like one season, right? And then she's like, "Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm going to go make movies." And then she made one movie, and then Cosby's like, "No more TV for you." After that yeah, movie, yeah. oh my god, she was in the Toxic Adventure. Yeah. Oh, was she? Jeez. Yeah. I have to go back she and watch that. She was one of the girls in the Health Club. I want to go back and watch that. I now. will. Yeah, to see her for like the equivalent of five seconds. Oh, that's her. Well, I want. You know? I, I kind of want to revisit that movie anyway. That movie's really silly. I agree. Um, I don't know who they cast as Aunt May in that Spider-Man musical, Into the Night, uh, or whatever it was called, but I guarantee you it contained the... Worst song ever. <laughs> See that? I've been learning, Bill. I've been paying attention. All right. Tell me all Bill, about it, Jeff. So, Bill, what? what <laughs> is, I feel it's funny. I've never introduced this segment before. Bill, what... Song do we have in the giant musical toilet of this show for this week? All right. Disclaimer. I like this song. I like this artist. And I own a bunch of stuff. I also realize how ridiculous he is. Although I don't think he does. Uh, today's <laughs> worst song ever is brought to you by the vocal stylings of a man named... Glenn Danzig with a song <laughs> off of his first solo album, Am I Demon? Ah, uh, yes. Let's play a clip so that everyone else can enjoy the quality of this song. I admit I'm the person who picked this song for, for this week, and, and I'll tell you why, and it, and it reflects back on our conversation much earlier in the show about gym etiquette. I was... <laughs> so, 
So at my gym, you have a 50-50 chance of hearing a song that's really good or something that slaps, as the kids say, especially when it's related to John Bon Jovi. But yeah. if you hear a song that's re- that's really good, followed by a song that is utterly terrible. So you might hear Ronnie James Dio singing Holy Diver, followed by Five Figure Death Punch singing anything they've ever recorded. Right? <laughs> and for the last, like, four weeks at the gym, I've heard Ronnie James Dio either the last in line or... Holy Diver, followed by... Am I demon? <laughs> and it's just... Need to know! <laughs> it, just, it just sucks. It's bad in context. Because the vocal difference between the two is amplified by how good Ronnie James Dio's voice is and how not good Glenn Danzig's voice is. Oh, as come a on. No, no, no. He's a great front man. I love the stuff he does with the Misfits. And I like... Other songs on this record and the record that followed it, the hilariously named Lucy Fudge. <laughs> Lucky Fuji. <laughs> Lucky Fuji. Lucy, <laughs> Lucy's Fudge. <laughs> but this song in particular, the hook of the song, Am I Demon? Yes, I Am, is so clumsy to sing because yep. it's like the words are out of order that it, it <laughs> becomes a mental exercise to get around that part of the song for me. <laughs> The thing is, too, is Danzig's first solo album came out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think it was like, it was either '88 or '89. Yes, it's, it was hard for me to remember. Yep, '88. Danzig started out with Misfits. Mm-hmm. He was the uh, the principal songwriter. Yes, and they were the first like horror punk rock band. Yeah, you know, after the Misfits split up in like '83, he formed another band called. I'm sure some. Wiccan person is going to come up and tell me how to pronounce it. Uh-huh. But as far as I'm concerned, the band it's is called, called Sam Hain, right? Even though it's probably Sawin or whatever. Sam Hain wasn't all that different from Misfits. It was nope. still three chord punk rock about mm-hmm. horror movies. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, if you've got something that works, you decide you want to yeah, stick with exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Why fix it? So if you've got something that works, the first thing you should do is call up record producer Rick Rubin and have him just monkey wrench everything the first dancing album is produced by rick rubin it wasn't that they called him it's that he saw them on tour and was uh-huh. like oh these guys would be great to produce i could f- this up in a minute he tried to make dancing a solo album which i'm sure it would have had him doing like i gotta i'm gonna put this johnny cash song in front of you dancing i'm gonna be like okay see johnny cash and <laughs> that's sort of how it would have gone but I, as from what the all-knowing Wikipedia says is that Glenn Danzig said, no, you can't. I'm not going to sign with you unless you also sign the bass player from Sam Hain. And Yeah, Erie Vaughn. And he agreed. And then they decided for legal reasons not to call the band Sam Hain anymore for fear of, I guess, the other two guys suing them. Or the other one guy. Or the other one guy. Sam Hain was the, th- Sam was the, three, the three piece. piece. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, so they recorded as... Those two guys and then two other guys to become Danzig, and then they toured on it, and then they put out Lucy's Fudge, which is a much better record than his first one. <laughs> For the record, it's called Lucifuge. <laughs> I like to call it Lucy's Fudge because Lucky Fuji, Lucky, yeah. Lucky Fuji, because it's Lucky Fuji's a great album too, though. Well, Lucifuge, it's actually it it has a meaning. It makes sense. It's just it sounds like a made up dumb word that uh, like a heavy metal yeah. kid would like. It's like Lucifer and Deluge and Refuge and the Fuji's all smashed together. It's like, what? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? So uh, Rick Rubin brought Danzig and bass player in, and they shifted away from writing songs about horror movies to writing more thematic songs about 
not occultic stuff, but definitely darker heavy metal sort of tropes and pulled pull together a way better so a way better song set than Samhain, I think. Uh, well, it's it's apples and oranges. The dancing stuff is way, way, way different. And this is like little middle ground too. Like uh, a little while ago when we were talking about LL Cool J, I was talking about the Less Than Zero soundtrack, yes. right? So I knew who the Misfits were because at that time, you know, Metallica had their cover of Last Caress and Green Hell. So I knew who the Misfits were uh, through that. And then Danzig came out with his solo album. But in between, on the Less Than Zero soundtrack, there was a, the title track, Less Than Zero, was performed by Glenn Danzig and the Power and Fury Orchestra. And then my friend Josh was talking about the new Danzig album. He goes, oh, yeah, the Glenn Danzig, the guy who used to sing for the Misfits. I was like, wait, Glenn Danzig? Yeah, used to sing for the Misfits. Yes. Because the Glenn Danzig and the Power and Fury Orchestra, hold on, I'm going to play a, a clip of it, but just because okay. it's so different. Like that's that's how I knew Danzig. That that was my diving board into Danzig. That doesn't sound like Am I Demon? And <laughs> and the whole like satanic panic of the eighties, Danzig like leaned hard, hard into it. He was almost like a caricature of himself because he really takes himself and all that seriously. I saw the the home video that was like a counterpart to the first Danzig album. And I think it's for this song. There's like sacrifice where there's like this naked girl and they like rip open a chicken over her and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really it's, bizarre. It's really bizarre. Well, I mean, I think the reason that he ran under the radar is because this was the first release on technically Def Jam Records, but it, when it was renamed to Def American to branch out from New York's hip hop culture. Yes. And that was, the, I think Danzig was the first artist that wasn't a hip hop artist that they put out. So their distribution was way smaller. I don't think any of the songs from this record had a video that played on MTV, even on 120 Minutes or The Headbangers Ball. The second record, though, had a bunch Lucky of singles. <laughs> Lucy's Fudge had a whole bunch of singles, like Her Black Mother Wings. And her, her no, Black no, Wings. no. Mother is on the first album, young man. What happened, Jeff, was Mother is on the first album. Yes. And it was released as a single, but to... Because it was the middle of the satanic panic right. and, you know, the, the, the chicken thing there and all that, MTV didn't want to touch it with anybody's 10-foot pole. Later on, I think it was in between his third and fourth album, he put out a, uh, a, a live album. And Mother was a single off of that. This is like 1995. Right. It was like years after the first album. And that's when Mother from Danzig really got legs like five years after the fact one uh, one thing too is like danzig you know they always show pictures of him like with his shirt off he's a very big and muscular guy in the fact that he's big and muscular he is not a tall man he is cartoonishly short yeah he's my he height he's like he's like five foot four i i guess to see him in person at that time i mean he's in his 60s now but at that time when he was like in the, the his peak physical shape, but at 5'4", must have looked really funny. There is a 
uh, a very, very, very funny video out there uh, that you can look up called Danzig Gets Knocked Out. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that video. <laughs> and, yeah. So the story was Danzig was uh, the band was playing with this other band and Danzig was supposed to go on last, but they decided to switch places and they were going to go on second to last. And whenever they got done playing, they turned the house lights on and people in the crowd, you know, this isn't an arena show. This is a club show. But whenever the house lights come on, people typically think that's it. That's the end of the show. And they start filing out. So the house lights come on. Everybody starts filing out. And there was still one more band to play. So the the singer from the other band is backstage. And he's over there arguing with Danzig saying, dude, you turned on the house lights and, you know, everybody left and right. we were supposed to go on and we didn't have as big as a crowd as we showed up and all that. Right. And Danzig, like, shoves, shoves the guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, says, F you, motherfucker. And the guy just one swing <laughs> and yeah. Danzig spins like a top, dude. Just, <laughs> just kisses the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Am I unconscious? Uh, One, yeah, glass jaw Joe just down. Yeah, Glenn Danzig's always looked to me like a He Man doll that a goth kid owned, but only like <laughs> double size. As goofy as this kind of, of, of music tends to be, you can't argue that it didn't sort of pave the way for guys like Marilyn Manson and later Korn and some of the other shock rockers and or even new metal. Even that, Ghost. Uh, even go oh, Ghost, yeah, for sure. And. Yeah. He's the dude out there with the little guy with the machete who's chopping down all the bushes to get the rest of the people through the jungle. Right. You know? And and as as I make fun of this song, I still mumble along with it. Yeah. And don't forget the, you know, the sort of service that he did to heavy metal. And as much as I dislike Rick Rubin, and it's a lot, whole oh, yeah. lot, I gotta at least give the guy, you know, credit for saying, yeah, this dude could probably sell some records. He wasn't wrong. That brings us all the way around, Bill. To the yep. trivia question for today. Do you remember the trivia question for today? Yeah. What was... rock group is uh, immortalized on Butthead's t-shirt on the TV show, which was canceled in 1997? All right. So it's this this was easy because uh, Butthead, you're asking for Butthead, right? I am asking for Butthead. All right. Butthead was wearing, I believe, Metallica, and Beavis was wearing ACDC. You are very close. But you are incorrect. Oh, do I have them reversed? You have them reversed, yeah. No. So. Butthead's wearing ACDC. Butthead's wearing bitch. ACDC and and Beavis has Metallica. But you know what? Oh, I don't That's get it right. That's an easy mistake to make. And I'm sure at some point those little cartoon guys traded shirts. So we're going to give you the point. We're going to call that one in a row. If you had said, like, Spice Girls, for sure you wouldn't have got it. Yeah. But, you know. A winger. I remember there was a, there was <laughs> yeah, a, there's a kid. Their friend. A, yeah. Yeah, the Winger shirt. And that ruined Winger's career because everybody looked at him like Pussy Rock. <laughs> I know. That was that was funny and terrible at the same time. And that brings us to the end of the show, Bill. So, uh, uh, How'd you like it? How'd you like hosting? It was really fun. Say goodnight, Bill. Goodnight, Bill. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Make sure you spread the word and tell all your friends about the Twibbly podcast. Dan Quayle never listened to Twibbly, and look what happened to him. <laughs>